0: If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy, it's a pastoral epistle. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Uh, He was a sojourner with him. He he traveled together, uh, helped write much of the New Testament, was uh, credited to Timothy. And it's an incredible book that we have in front of us for the flourishing of God's household. We are in part four uh, today. The very first battle of the Civil War, the Battle of Manassas, or the Battle of Bull Run, it, it happened in July 21st, 1861. And the battle took place just like about 30 miles southwest of Washington, D.C. And when news reached Washington, D.C. that the battle had begun, uh, it really was interesting that a lot of the high society men and women, uh, some members of Congress, They decided they wanted to make picnic lunches and travel out there and watch the battle. Kind of interesting. Uh, There was kind of a a thought that the war wouldn't last very long. There was a thought that this would be over quickly. And it kind of became the thought of like uh, they were anticipating this, like this was the social event of the uh, summer. That finally uh, it is here, war has broken out. It's not going to last long. So why don't we make a lunch, make an afternoon of it, and let's go out and let's watch the battle. Well, the scene was no picnic. Unimagined chaos and horror is what was witnessed. Brigadier General Thomas J. Jackson earned the name at that battle of Stonewall Jackson uh, for what he was able to keep the Union forces from coming. As a matter of fact, led some Confederate uh, soldiers with a bayonet charge. No picnic lunch there. That battle, the Union Army was routed, and the Washington socialites were all scrambling and running for their lives. They thought it was going to be a picnic, and they saw a battle. It's devastating when you're not ready for a battle. It really can be devastating. I think of even in World War II when when the Germans rolled into Poland with with uh, the Blitzkrieg and the the, the the Panzer tanks trying to fight against horses when you're not ready, the Bible tells us that we're all as Christians we're all in a battle. The Church of Jesus Christ this church is in a battle, but we got to know who we are to fight. We now got to know how we are to fight. We got to know why we are to fight. So this morning as we are in the fourth week of a sermon series entitled The Flourishing of the Household of God as we make our way through 1 Timothy, what I love about this is this book, maybe more than any other books in the entire Bible, 66 books, this is like an owner's manual. It's an owner's manual for the church. I mean, although Paul wrote it for Timothy at a certain time when he was in Ephesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, here's what's really cool. King's Chapel, this, church is, this book is for us. Uh, and This is a letter for us as well. So what's the overall theme of this? Well, it's for the church to be properly run. How are we to run? This is Christ's church. It's not Jeff's church. I mean, we are a part of the big church, and, and Christ is our head. Uh, it's for the church to be properly run, and it's for the world to be thoroughly won. Uh, we are here on mission, so this is why he has given this to us. And what we've already learned is that we need sound doctrine, we need a great base. What we've already learned is that we need abounding grace, the abounding grace of our God that loves sinners like us. But this morning we're going to need to know this. We need to fight the good fight. We're going to look at three things in this. We're only going to look at a couple of verses this morning, but we're going to look at the three things. One is that we are in a fight. The second thing we are going to notice is that we are to fight the good fight. And then thirdly, we need to fight the good fight the right way. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy 2, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 through 20. Also, let me just say I, this morning, for those of you who pay attention to these things, I almost always, every week, I'm going to preach to you from the ESV translation. It's a great translation. I think it's very readable. Uh, I've really preached through that through many years. Early on, I preached through the NASB, the New American Standard Version. This morning, I'm going to be preaching from the NASB, reading from that as well. And let me just say a a quick word about that. Um, You know, different translations, they all want to go back to the original Hebrew and Greek and try to get uh, a translation into our tongue, our language, that is readable. Uh, What I love about the NASB, uh, it was... It was translated in a way that they really wanted to hear very, very closely to the original. And so it's oftentimes called a more wooden translation. They didn't translate it to be more readable. The NIV or the TNIV was translated to be a little bit more readable. I remember one of my professors in seminary said that the NASB was really translated for someone with about a 12th grade education, thinking that, and then the NIV might be like a 7th grade and more readability And there are different translations. Now, let me remind you that God's word and its original, it's always inerrant and infallible, will never lead us astray. Um, And we can trust these translations, but uh, I just felt like this morning, um, it was a little bit truer to the original for us to be in the NASB. So 1 Timothy 1, I'm going to read verses 18 through 20 as we pick up where we left off, and we'll read through the rest of this chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that you give to us, the command to fight the good fight. God, we don't want to be like those who have shipwrecked the faith. So God, would you come and Would you teach us? Would you be the teacher through a broken sinner like me this morning? God, would you help us understand this word for us here at King's Chapel this morning and each one of us personally? God, would you give us the ears to hear your voice? And would you give us the minds that can understand your word? Would you give us the hearts that would embrace your truth? And and God, would you give us the feet that walk in a manner worthy of your name, that would walk in... Gospel peace. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to help us to fight the good fight for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing we're going to realize, if <laughs> you already know, is that we're in a fight. And specifically, this text is going to deal with the fight for the household of God, the church of the living God. So specifically, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's going to tell him, hey, Timothy, we got to just fight for the church. We got to fight for the truth. We got to fight against those false teachers and false teachings, and we got to fight. But really, as Christians and as your pastor, I want to begin this way, that yes, although primarily this is talking about a fight with the, the, for the church and for truth, but we're all in a fight. And we are in a fight. And I, wanna, I want you to realize that Scripture is going to tell us that, that we are in a fight with two things. There's, there's a fight uh, from from evil on the outside, and there's some evil from the flesh on the inside. The first thing is this, that we're in a fight with evil. It's not neutral. I mean, that there is an enemy that hates us. Uh, there's one who, who wants to take us down, the one who would love to wreck our names, one who would love to mess our marriages up, one who would love to take our children and have, lead them astray. We are in a fight with evil. Scripture tells us very clearly that, that there is a presence, a, a, even a personified evil in Satan, and our world is incredibly broken. And we are to fight, a fight against Satan, uh, we do have a uh, an enemy who would love to harm us, and we need to fight. And we need to fight with that full armor of God. It's interesting, uh, Paul will tell us more about that personal fight in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, and if you've been around God's Word, you've heard this. Ephesians 6 tells us about this personal fight, and it says this. Ephesians 6 verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Wow. This is basically saying that there's a plan against us. There is a scheme that that, that Satan wants to take us down, that we are to put on this armor of God. I mean, this is clearly a picture of imagery of warfare. This is imagery of saying, don't think life's a picnic. Don't show up and think it's going to be easy. We are in a battle. Uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of darkness and the heavenly places. This is saying, wow, there's, there's an evil that we can't even physically see that we are going to be battling against. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist the, uh, in the evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, our life should be filled with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, wearing the righteousness of Christ as God's children, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Isn't it interesting in this battle, the only thing offensive is God's Word. Everything else is a defensive posture for us to be able to fight. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all pervasiveness and petition for all the saints. It's basically saying, hey, you're in a battle, and there is an evil one. So, so suit up. Be ready to go. Because life is a battle. But it's not just a battle against uh, the evil one. There's also a battle against the flesh, against just our humanness. The Bible teaches us that by nature, all, all of us by nature, are sinful and depraved. That every single one of us, that our flesh has this insatiable appetite for the sinful pleasures of this evil world. Now hit pause. Have you not found that to be true? Have you not realized that We have this thing called the flesh that kind of longs for everything the world has to offer, especially the shiny things that aren't good for us, especially the things that taste good or smell good or look good that really are like that battery acid that will eat us from the inside out. I mean, that is the flesh. Many people have this. They say, I didn't mean to do it. The devil made me do it. You know, it's funny because I rarely will say the devil made me do it because by God's grace, I know I don't need his persuasion much my flesh is so bad i'm so prone to evil i'm such a knucklehead who wanders away that it's a battle of the flesh that there's there's a broken nature inside of us now now here's here's the big picture the bible says if you are a christian if you are a born-again believer if if by the grace of god you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Great news. Your sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. You have been you've been cleansed in the blood of the lamb. You've been robed in his righteousness. You have made scripture will say you have been made new. You're a new creature. But if you're a Christian, now the battle rages because you have two natures. You have a nature that a spiritual nature, a new nature if anyone wants to be uh, uh, come to the kingdom of heaven, he must be born again, John 3, right? Um, you must become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But we fight with the old nature. That sinful nature is going to be with us until we see Jesus face to face. Christian, there's not a nanosecond in your life that you're not going to have to battle with your flesh. That's going to be there. So what does Paul say? Paul is going to tell us, in Romans uh, 13 that we got to make sure that we make no provision for the flesh. I want to read Romans 18, I'm sorry, 13. I'm going to pick up in verse 8 and read through verse 14. Hear this incredible word of God. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Isn't that great? For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And then he goes to verse 11 saying this, do this, knowing the time that is already the hour for your awakening from sleep. And from now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. But listen to verse 14. He says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provisions for the flesh in regards to its lust. Make make no provisions for the flesh. Because why? Because our flesh longs for the world. It longs for all that is broken and sinful. Make no provisions. If you struggle with the Internet, (laughs) make sure you have something on there that could could keep you from from going there or or do whatever you need to do. If you struggle with alcohol, don't hang out in a bar. Uh, You know, wherever your struggle is, make no provisions for the flesh. That is what we have. Why? Because it's amazing how quick we can wander. You know, again, I just want you to know that, that we know this. God has made it very clear for us. But I want you to know how powerful the flesh is. It's amazing. You can blow by all the warning signs. You can blow by all the things that that you know better. Make no provision for the flesh. We are in a battle. Um, But we're also not only uh, a a fight, uh, we also... Uh, We are fighting for the household of God not only an internal personal fight But what really Paul is saying here is fight for the household of God the church of the living God That's what it's called in chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 fight within the church What do we fight for? Well, Paul is already gonna say really early on in like verse 4. He's gonna say 3 and 4 Hey fight against the false teachers fight against the false teachers and the false teachings Fight for sound doctrine versus strange doctrine. That we got to make sure that we are men and women, a church that stands boldly on God's word, unapologetically on God's word, that says we want to stand up for this truth. Anything that comes alongside that's strange, anything that's false anything that gets into endless genealogies or myths or things that take us away from God's grace and the gospel, anything that takes our focus off of Jesus, uh, we got to fight against those things. And the church is filled with false teachers. It was then, it is now. The church is filled with those that we got to fight and say, no, this is truth. He, he summarizes it this way, fight for the faith. And it's interesting because the Greek has an article in it. It doesn't say fight for faith. He says specifically fight for the faith. What is the faith? Well, it's faith that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. It's the good news of the gospel. It's a, it's a faith that we have been forgiven and saved because of the work of Christ, that we are robed in his righteousness. It is fighting for the fact that we are not saved because of what we do. It's not we are not saved because we are righteous we are saved by God's grace through faith. That is what we need to fight for. Fight within the church. And I'm telling you, we live in a time that we need to dig our heels in. I mean, it's an amazing time. and There's a lot of issues that are important for the church to wrestle with. There's a lot of things for us to try to figure out. How do we deal with race? You know, how how do we deal with how do we deal with the police? How do we how do we stand with with those in our culture that seem to be Going further and further in different directions. What what is our message? I mean, what what, what do we need to do to engage with them? And we got to be very very careful that we keep the main thing the main thing. And so many churches I've seen it have taken secondary issues, important issues, issues that we need to wrestle with as Christians, but not from the pulpit. I mean, we ought to stand to this truth. This is God's truth. This is God's word unapologetically. And those will have ripple effects into all of our, our lives. But we got to make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing. We got to have absolute sound doctrine, not strange teachings. We got to fight for the faith. And then there's a fight from uh, the world as well. We live in a, in a there's always going to be a worldview. Everybody lives with a certain worldview. Some will say the worldview is that we just came from lucky mud. We evolved. I mean, that's where we came from. Some will say there's absolutely no God. Some will say there is a God, but he doesn't care much about us, agnostics. Some will say there are many gods, or some will say all of creation needs to be worshipped. There's a lot of worldviews, and everybody needs a worldview to get through life. I mean, our worldview might just be, give me more alcohol and drugs so I can just numb the pain. We all have a worldview. But here's what it says about a fight with Christians. We're to take captive every thought for the obedience of Christ. I love it. We got to know what the worldview is of the world to a certain degree. When the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 went into Athens, he went to a famous place called Mars Hill. He went to a place where all the philosophers would go and everybody would talk about the worldviews of the day. And he took the gospel and he did it with their language Proving Christ is Lord and Savior. Here's the point. We gotta take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is truth. This is God's word. We gotta be the ones that, that take captive um, all different thoughts. Let me read to you second Corinthians ten three through five. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war. Think of the the sound of battle against the flesh. For the weapons of warfare are not of flesh but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take captive, take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're in a battle. We're in a battle, and we got to make sure that the Christian worldview is heard and a Christ-centered living. But now we're not only in a battle, but we also got to fight the good fight. It says we got to fight the good fight. That's really fighting for belief. When Scripture tells us we have to fight the good fight, there's an inference that we could be fighting the wrong fight or fighting the bad fight. So we got to stop and say, well, what, what, what is the good fight? And what is a bad fight? How many of you, maybe growing up, had a freshwater aquarium? Anybody? Am I the only one who had freshwater aquariums? I mean, they were probably cool. You go get some fish, you get little guppies, get the neons. I love those little neons. I mean, especially if you get a cool white on them, you almost can see through them. You get those zebras, maybe a, a, a quarry catfish. But if you ever put a tiger barb fish in one of those aquariums that have those other little nice neons, you ever put a little tiger barb or two in there? Those are mean little fishies. They like eating, biting the other fishies. If you have a a fish tank and you put a tiger barb in there, guess what happens when you wake up the next day? You have dead fish floating on top. And you have a tiger barb who's in there like eating. Like, oh, these guys taste great. I love neons. They're delicious. They might be my favorites. Do you know that the church is often filled with tiger barbs? The church is filled with those who are biting and devouring one another. That's not the good fight. We got to avoid friendly fire. And the church is notorious for friendly fire. We love shooting our wounded. We love shooting each other. And I mean, it's just pathetic. This is the church. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5:13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, my brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Man, has that been a consistent theme through this message? But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Wow. If you bite and devour one another, you're going to consume one another. So fighting the good fight in the church does not mean that we gossip. It does not mean that we don't love our neighbor and I love our neighbor's name. And if we have a problem, we talk directly to them. We don't talk about them. I mean, we, we, we deal with this in a God-honoring way, loving them, loving their name, loving their family, loving them as ourself. So our battle has, cannot be friendly fire. And oftentimes it is. We have to fight for the faith. Again, I told you it's the faith. Faith in Christ Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Fight for the faith. It's interesting. When it talked about those two guys that were shipwrecked, and it's translated in the NASV, and it's translated in the ESV, that they shipwrecked their faith, it's not what it says. It says they shipwrecked the faith. The faith. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Here's the great news. You can't lose your salvation. Here's the good news. He's going to hold on to you. If you're truly his, shipwrecked, you you might be wobbling. You might jump off a deck with an anchor. But the reality is that we will never lose our salvation. Once saved, always saved, because why? It's all by God's grace, and the work of Christ is sufficient. But they were really fighting against the faith, the faith faith in Christ Jesus, that we are saved by God's grace. We receive the righteousness of God, not because of what we do, but as gift from him. So we fight, we avoid friendly fire, we fight the faith, we fight for sound doctrine. Uh, you know, we are a people that are committed to God's word, committed to the authority of scripture. Do you know, you know how popular that is? For your preacher to stand up here and say, we're committed, this is God's word, it's not going to ever lead us astray, we're committed to it. And we're gonna, you know what, this is gonna be our authority. And there's gonna be things that we scratch our head about, and there's, there's things that we don't always understand, but we're gonna say that this is above us and we're not above it. That we're not gonna be Jeffersonian Bible people that say, I'll choose what's good for me and what's not. That we say this is God's word, and we have to fight for sound doctrine. We gotta fight, but we gotta fight with abounding grace towards sinners. I love that. Listen, we fight with abounding grace towards sinners. We fight the good fight not by throwing stones, not by just pointing fingers, not by having signs that that will say hateful things about those who do not believe. We fight in a way that loves our neighbors. Let me hit pause. Always expect a pagan to be a pagan. Always expect an unbeliever to act like an unbeliever. Of course the world is going to redefine marriage. Of course the world is going to redefine how you live. Of course they're going to try to figure out. That's the world. And we've got to be careful, but by the grace of God, there we go, right? And so we've got to be abounding with grace, abounding with grace toward sinners. Uh, make sure that because of God's love lavished upon us, we must be gracious to others. If we're not gracious, we don't understand the grace of God in our own hearts. And so sad that the church, oftentimes, is not a place of grace. We should be the place of most grace, because we should be like Paul, saying, a chief of sinner here, unbelievably, doesn't deserve God's grace, but I got it, and I'm loved. And man, I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna stand for truth. I'm gonna be unapologetic for truth, but I'm gonna love a sinner. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. It's true, abounding with grace. Maybe that be our mantra, the aroma of Christ. Too often, we throw stones. Too often, we make signs. Too often, we point fingers. Too often, we lead with hate. We got to lead with love. Unapologetically stand for truth, but lead with love, abounding in grace. We also got to fight for the purity of the church. It's interesting what it says back in this passage in 19 and 20. Holding faith in a good, we got to do with holding faith in a good conscience by rejecting this, by rejecting the faith and the good conscience. Some have shipwrecked their faith, And so it says that Paul handed these two knuckleheads over to Satan. What does that mean? How does Paul hand somebody over to Satan so that teach them not to blaspheme? You know what this is? It's not many people like it, but this is church discipline. This is what the Bible tells us. I mean, it tells us, it gives us a a way to follow church discipline in Matthew 18. If, If a brother's in sin, go to him and say, hey, man, you're messing up. You know, you, you, this is wrong. And, and if you've, you know, if they listen to you, yahoo. And if they don't, take another one. Say, hey, you know what? What you're doing is not scriptural. We love you. We want you to, you, you know, God's word is clear here. If they don't listen, you bring them to the elders. And so this is something that many churches wouldn't embrace. This is fighting for the purity of the church. When there are those who rise up who are going to be against the faith, that are going to pull you down, it's discipline. It's excommunication. Turn them over to Satan. Now, I love what Martin Luther, way back in the 1500s, said about church, uh, uh, church discipline. It's for medicinal purposes. It's not just to say, you're scumbag, we're not. It's to, to, we were, there's something we're going to turn you over. How scary. Hoping that, that through this, you're going to learn not to blaspheme. That it will embrace you when, you when you repent and come back but medicinal purposes. Listen, I've been a pastor for a long time, and I know how unpopular it is for church discipline. And I, I know that when you come to someone and say, hey man, we just believe you're outside of accord with God's Word. And listen, let me give you a scenario. You, you left your wife, and you think that it's God's will for you to be happy. And you think it's God's will for you to leave your family and to be with somebody else. But bro, you, you, that's not God's will. And so the, the reality would be uh, repent and, and turn. And they don't listen. And you say, well, you know what? We're just going to move to to church discipline. They're like, who are you? What are you doing? Listen, the only authority we have is spiritual. But if King's Chapel is going to be biblical, we're going to be a church that hopefully never or rarely has to exercise church discipline. But if we are going to be biblical, we're going to follow it and just trust God. So that's, that's, What we're called to do for fighting for the purity of the church to teach them not to blaspheme remember Paul said he was the chief of blasphemers So lastly we are to fight the good fight the right way if Fighting the good fight is for what we believe fighting the good fight is for how we behave fighting the good fight with a good conscience Okay, I love how he says this with a good conscience how we fight the good fight matters all is not fair in love and war we got to practice what we preach. That is the whole thing. So how do we do it? We fight in love. This is the aim of that. It tells us in verse 5, we fight in love with a pure heart. We fight with a love for God and love for neighbor. We fight in accordance with the gospel, verse 11. The gospel is the good news of what God has graciously done for sinners like us. And ultimately, we can't miss this, we fight for the honor and glory of God. That's why we fight. We fight for the honor and glory for God. We don't fight to win a victory for ourselves. We don't fight to prove we're right. We don't fight to prove we're better. And I'm telling you, I got to hear that because sometimes I want to say to other churches, how good's your theology? I mean, are you you giving them what we're giving them? But we got to remember, it's not that we are right. It's for the honor of God, for the glory of God. This is why we have to do it. We fight for the house of the God, the church of the living God. People showed up, how can you, picture this, they showed up with a picnic basket for the battle of Bull Run, thinking it was a good place for a picnic. Wow, were they wrong. Life isn't always a picnic, and church life isn't a picnic either. We gotta be ready for a battle. May King's Chapel be a church that fights the good fight today and every day until Christ comes back for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, give us the grace, the strength, and the faith to fight the good fight, to fight the good fight for faith, and God, to fight it with a clear conscience, to fight it the right way, not with stones and pointing fingers, but with love and grace and mercy, but God, for unapologetically standing up for truth. God, we don't want to shipwreck the faith. And we thank you for your grace and mercy that always restores repentant sinners. And God, there's some, a lot of things that are difficult about this. And a lot of things that really, this is culturally going in the wrong direction. But God, you've called us to swim upstream. For you, for the honor of our great God, for the glory. God, I pray that you would keep this church Uh, That there'd be no tiger barbed fish in here that would be enjoying, biting, and devouring one another. That, God, that you wouldn't let the enemy have a stronghold here. That we would be a pure church. That, God, we would love you enough to trust you. And even things like church discipline, we'd honor you. That, God, that we would realize that our eyes have to be on you. They have to be in your word. And they have to be living our lives for your glory and for the good of our neighbor. Help us to do that for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.